0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Hello friends, would you like to hear an amazing fact? About 30 miles off the coast of Brazil, just south of Sao Paulo, Brazil, is an island called Caimana Grande, better known as Snake Island. The beautiful island is untouched by human developers for a good reason. Brazil has made it illegal for anyone to visit because it's just too dangerous. Researchers estimate that on the 106-acre island live between two and 4,000 snakes. The snakes survive by feeding on the many migratory seabirds that use the island as a resting point. Among the many snakes that infest the island is the deadliest, which is the golden lancehead, a pit viper that is responsible for 90% of Brazilian snakebite fatalities. The golden lanceheads possess a powerful, fast-acting venom that melts the flesh around their bites. Marcelo Duarte, a biologist who's visited Snake Island over 20 times, he said the island has about one snake per square yard. This means you're never more than three feet away from death. Did you know the Bible talks about another serpent that is much more deadly than the golden lance head? Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live.
0: You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions.
1: Hello listening friends, and we're glad that you've tuned in for Bible Answers Live. If you'd like to call in with your Bible question, that's why we're here, it is a live international, interactive Bible study. And we'd love to have you participate by listening, by calling in with a question, and you can even pray for us as we do our best to search the Word of God for truth-filled answers. The number for the studio is 800-463-7297. That's 800-God-Says, 800-463-7297. 7297 you can call with your questions we're also streaming this if you've got a Facebook account you can go to the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the amazing facts Facebook page that's amazing facts ministries or amazing facts international and you can watch what's going on as well as listen and my name is Doug Batchelor
2: my name is John Ross good evening friends and pastor Doug as we always do let's start the program with prayer Dear Father, we thank you that we're able to take this time to open up your Word and study together. The most important way of spending time is in your Word, and so we do ask your blessing. Be with those who are listening. Lord, guide us here in the studio, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor, you opened the program by talking about, well, one of the least uh, favorite, my least favorite animal, without a doubt, and that is a snake. I don't like snakes, as you know, (laughs) growing up in Africa, uh, there's not too many friendly snakes. Uh, the snakes there are very deadly. But here is an entire island just infested with snakes. It seems as though I actually saw a little documentary on uh, this island and wherever you look you, it looks as though the, the trees are living because <laughs> they're moving with these snakes everywhere and it's probably somebody's worth, worst nightmare is to wake up on the island.
3: <laughs> my
1: mother was like that. She was, for whatever reason, she would uh, scream if she saw a snake on television. <laughs> and my brother and I used to torment her. We'd take the rubber snakes and stick them in her, her drawers and things. And, but, uh, yeah, you know, th- this snake, um, uh, the uh, Golden Lancet is a, a very deadly snake. And uh, I've killed several rattlesnakes, and in my youth I I even ate a couple when I lived up in the hills, and I don't recommend it. But um, yeah, this snake, though, most people don't die from rattlesnake bites. You you can usually get to help. You can get seriously injured. But this snake, it it, uh, can have a high mortality rate. And it makes me think of the most deadly snake in the world is actually found in the Bible. And you can read about this in Revelation chapter 12. And it talks about the dragon, that old serpent called the devil and satan who is cast out of heaven and it says he deceives the whole world and you find that in revelation 12 verse 9 so that great dragon was cast out that serpent of old the reason of course it calls it a serpent is it go back to the garden of eden and the first time the devil sort of manifested his um evilness towards the human race was through uh possessing a serpent as the medium and he deceived uh eve and adam And um, through the Bible several times, it talks about through the power of God, it says you will trample the serpent and the scorpion. And uh, there's even a place where it says you will take up the serpent. And now we're not supposed to go out and pick up snakes, but it means we'll be able to do battle with the devil through the power of Christ. And uh, yeah, there's the venom of the devil has taken out so many in the world. And it reminds us of where Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 15 now almost everyone knows John 3:16 but in John 3:15 Jesus said as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life and Christ is referring back to that story from the book of numbers where the people were bitten by a plague of fiery serpents and uh, they were they're all dying from this venom And Moses was instructed to make a bronze serpent and put it on the pole, shepherd's staff, and lift it up, and whoever would look would live. And for the shepherds, that serpent on a pole represented a defeated serpent because they used to kill snakes and they carried off with their their staff. And um, Christ said when he was lifted up on the cross, he provided the cure for the venom. The anti-venom is the blood of Jesus for the curse of sin. And that's available to everyone that asks. And some might be wondering, Pastor Ross, if God's a loving God, then why did he make a devil?
2: We have a study guide that deals with that. Uh, It's called, Did God Create the Devil? And um, it answers the question, if God is good, why are there so many bad things in our world? Why is there sin and suffering and death? We'd encourage you to uh, call, and we'll be happy to give you the study guide for free. It's part of the Amazing Facts set of study guides. It's called, Did God Create a Devil? The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. Ask for the study guide, Did God Create a Devil? And we will get that in the mail and send it to you. If you're in North America, we'll send it to you in the mail. If you're outside of North America, we want to encourage you to go to the Amazing Facts website, just amazingfacts.com you'll be able to read that study guide there at the website as well. Well, we're going to go to the phone lines. Our first caller is um, calling. Gladys is calling from the Philippines. Gladys, welcome to the program.
4: Hi, Pastor Ross. Hi, Pastor Doug.
2: Hi, Gladys. How are you doing?
4: I'm fine. Thank you so much. But before I give my question, I just wanted to take um, amazing facts uh, with your um, ministry, especially the online um, articles that you're giving, because because of that, I was able to reach uh, my community, especially the young ones regarding the Word of God. So thank you so much. Well,
1: absolutely. Praise the Lord. And your question?
4: Yes. um, I joined an online Bible seminar last night, and the topic was all about where the sin started and the speaker came to a question regarding as to why satan was cast out here on earth rather than on um, other unfallen worlds that he created but um, that god created but um, the speaker wasn't able to um, answer that question so i'm curious if the bible has an answer on this question
1: All right, thank you. Good question. So uh, when Satan was cast out, why did God cast the devil to the earth? Why did he pick us? And why did the devil come down here as opposed to other maybe unfallen worlds? Well, during the rebellion in heaven, evidently the devil was trying to recruit uh, anybody to join him. He did succeed in joining, in recruiting one third of the other angels in joining him in his rebellion. And it tells about that in Revelation 12 also. His tail drew, I think it's in Revelation 12, a third of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Uh, But here on this planet was the first place the devil actually found uh, a world that was willing to listen to his suggestions and sin against God and join him in his rebellion. And in Romans chapter six, it tells us, whoever you obey, that's whose servants you are. Now, God originally gave Adam and Eve dominion of the world. But when Adam and Eve chose to obey the laws of the devil and the word of the devil instead of the word of God, they surrendered that dominion. And Satan then had the right to basically to kidnap this planet because they had given him that opening. So that's why it's not that God just arbitrarily said, I think I'll send him down to torment the earth. Satan probably was trying to tempt other worlds, but this is the first one where he found a foothold.
2: You know, we've got a DVD, it's called Cosmic Conflict, Mm -hmm. that talks about this, and uh, it's free. You can just watch it, I believe, on YouTube. If you type in Amazing Facts, Cosmic Conflict, you'll be able to see that uh, documentary that we have talking about the subject of the fall of Lucifer and uh, the temptation here on the earth. And I think, Gladys, you'll enjoy that. Just go to Mm -hmm. take a look at that at YouTube. Thank you. Thanks for your call. We've got Ron listening uh, right here in Roseville. Ron, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, Pastor Doug. Pastor Ross. Hi, Ron. So I'm going through Exodus, I'm reading the, uh, you know, about the 40 years in the desert, and I'm fascinated about when I get to the part of the tabernacle and the instructions that uh, God gave to Moses to build a tabernacle. And specifically in uh, Exodus 38, uh, 24, he goes into how much gold and silver and the talons that took place to, to build that. And I'm fascinated at how much gold and silver. I mean, when I add up the weights here and how much they use, it looks like 100,000 pounds of silver, a couple of tons of gold. And that's just for the gold and silver part and not for all the, the pipes and the and the wood and the materials used for the thing. I know how long it takes to break down a, a circus tent. And with that, they use cranes and and trucks to tow all that stuff. How do they move this massive thing across the desert for 40 years and have the, the power to do that?
1: Okay, great question. And when I first read this, I wondered the same thing as you look at that. Well, first of all, we know they had no problem carrying the gold because when they built the sanctuary, they're already deep in the wilderness. So they spoiled the Egyptians, and it tells us that, and I forget what what passage it is, Pastor Ross, what it says, they spoiled the Egyptians who gave them articles of gold and silver and jewels. But... um, for all the years they had worked for free finally they told the egyptians you got to pay us and the egyptians were happy to get rid of the israelites after all the plagues and they just they basically just uh, laden them with gold and jewels and pearls yeah
2: exodus chapter 3 verse 22 says that they received gold and clothing and um, articles of silver from the egyptians
1: so now they're down at mount sinai when they build the sanctuary so they've already you know they're carrying it but it's in small pieces but when they build the sanctuary, I think the sanctuary is only altogether—it's like 150 feet, including the courtyard. So it's not as big as like a circus tent, but it is—it is big. But you've got almost—well, they had like 600,000 soldiers. So you look at the number of people they had, um, and they had—and then the camels. You know, I've heard a camel can carry six to eight hundred pounds, depends on the type and size of the camel. Uh, those camels were carrying a lot. And the whole sanctuary was made in segments. And, uh, well, like you can read here, it says 100 sockets, I'm in verse 27, 100 sockets from the 100 talents from each socket. And so they've got these sockets that the boards go into, and it assembles like a big Lego project. And whenever they moved, and they didn't move every day, uh, you know, over a period of 40 years, some places they stayed for a couple of years, I think. And so they'd set it up, and yeah, they would—they'd break it all down, and just like you mentioned, a, a, a circus train. They used to take all the circus uh, implements and they loaded it on different train cars, and they'd go through the Midwest to the next location. Well, these folks used camels instead of trains, and then they'd put it all back together again. And of course,
2: and, there was a, a whole tribe dedicated to the service of the sanctuary, that's so right. they had to put it together, take it apart, and carry it, and. It was quite the operation. And then also, Pastor you know, we got to remember that when the Israelites moved from one place to another, and of course they were guided by the cloud uh, and the pillar of fire by night, um, there were children, women, old folks, young folks, so they didn't move very quickly. Mm-hmm. So they'd probably walk a little ways and stop and rest. And then and all the flocks. Yes, all yeah, the animals that came them with a them. So it was, a, it was a big operation to move.
1: Yeah. Well, good question, Ron. We thank you. Now, we have a lesson, don't we, Pastor Ross, on the sanctuary?
2: Yes, it's called uh, God Drew the Plans, and it's about the sanctuary. And we'll be happy to send this to uh, anyone who calls and asks. It's God Drew the Plans. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. Just ask for the study guide, God Drew the Plans.
0: You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific time. Call us at one eight hundred
2: God Says. Our uh, next caller that we have is George, listening in New Jersey. George, welcome to the program. Uh, good evening, pastors. How are you doing tonight?
1: Good. Thank you for calling.
3: Yes. uh, Recently, first of all, for the question, I just got uh, one of your pamphlets in the mail, America and Bible Prophecy. I didn't request it, but I certainly appreciate it. I'm enjoying looking at it and reading about it, so I just wanted to let you know.
1: Well, bless your heart. It's a gift. Thank you. We're glad you're enjoying it.
3: Thank you. Uh, A question I have tonight, not any particular scripture, but is it important to know the exact day that you became a Christian. Over the years, sometimes people will say, well, when did you become a Christian? And I don't actually remember, because uh, when you grow up in the church, sometimes you don't remember those those incidents, you know what I'm saying? So yep. um, I, know, I know I was a teenager, but I know several times after being a teenager, I asked the Lord to come into my heart, so I'm not really sure if that was the time or it was several years later or or what but sometimes it does bother me a little bit so just wanted to get your input on that
1: yeah no that's great you know some some people have a dramatic experience like paul where he knows the day he got struck by the light of the lord and they call that a damascus road experience and then you've got people where conversion is sort of a series of steps and and they kind of they grow more like a plant and next thing you know that they're out of the ground and they can't really pick the day when it happened i'm like that you know i know for me going from being an atheist to an agnostic to a christian was a process and at some point i did get down and i prayed and asked god into my heart i regret now i don't know what that day was it didn't matter to me what the date was and i was living in a cave i don't even know if i knew what the days of the week were at that time but um I've always thought, well, I don't know what that date was. I do know the date when I got baptized because I've got a certificate for that. And uh, so that's, you know, an important date. But uh, now, have you been baptized?
3: Uh, When I was a teenager, uh, by immersion in the church that I go to? Yes.
1: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you probably have that date. And so you can look back. But yeah, I don't think it's necessary to say I can point to the exact time. At some point, I'm sure you prayed and and you said you prayed several times and said, Lord, you know, take my life. And right. Yeah, I don't I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says you have to be able to pick the day that uh, it all happened. Even with the disciples of Jesus, you know, they're following Christ. Then they're arguing with each other and then they follow him again. Then they, you know, they deny him and then they repent. And then he fills them with the Holy Spirit. And then a few years later, Peter starts getting distracted with uh You know they're trying to please the jews and paul has to chastise them and and so it was even a little bit of a process for the apostles of growing right um so not everybody can point to the day you know there is a verse i can share with you and that would be in john chapter 3 verse 7 christ said don't marvel that i say to you you must be born again and then verse 8 the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Sometimes you may not be able to put your finger on the place, but that doesn't mean you're any less converted, George, and I hope that will encourage you.
2: Thank you for your question. Next caller that we have is Jerry, listening in Texas. Jerry, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, fantastic, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. My question is uh, refers to, I think it's Second Kings 3.16, I might have to check back my notebook on that, but can we consider that when uh, Solomon slew Abner, his uh, cousin, I guess, can we assume that Abner, he had, you know, he'd been a servant of God, had been a a very good soldier, but he had followed King David's rules rather than some of God's uh, uh, rules. Can we assume that when Abner, clung to the horns of the altar.
1: Now, do you mean Abner? You mean Abner or you mean Joab?
5: I'm sorry. Joab killed Abner. You're right. Yeah. Can we assume that uh, when Joab clung to the altar as Solomon had his guards kill him, can we assume that he was clinging to the cross of Calvary and the great mercies of God, our creator?
1: You know, my personal opinion on this, of course, no one can really judge if someone was saved or not, but I've, I've preached some sermons on Joab and the fact that he went to the Lord, Joab was guilty of killing Ahab, not Ahab, Abner. And, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was a little treacherous what he did, but he had killed his brother and back then they had some laws about blood feud and, um, so, you know, what he did was wrong. David even said he took innocent blood. Uh, Joab killed uh, Amasa, and he killed Abner. But, you know, he sounds like he repented. And he went, and he was clinging to the altar, and Ben said, come away from the altar. And he said, uh, no, slay me here. And Ben and I went back to Solomon and said, what am I supposed to do? And Solomon said, well, he may repent, and God may forgive him. I'm paraphrasing now, but he said, he's guilty of innocent blood. You ne- he needs to pay the penalty. So he was killed. And I think there's a verse, Pastor Ross, that were, it says in Exodus, uh, talks about that.
2: Yeah, Exodus chapter 21, verse 14. It says, but if a man acts with premeditated against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he might die. So almost in anticipation of somebody fleeing into the temple, yeah. Uh, the word of the Lord says, if they guilty of murder...
1: And premeditated with Joab, it was premeditated, even though he probably thought it was vengeance, but...
2: And, you know, I think also Joab, you read a little earlier in the story, he kind of sided with the wrong side. Nigeria, yeah. And that um, was a bit of a threat to Solomon and yep. his rule. So there was an issue there as well.
5: All right. Hey, great. Thanks so much for your question. Thank you for your conjecture, gentlemen. And God bless you and your <laughs> right, ministry. Appreciate Amen. it. Amen.
2: Bye-bye. Next caller that we have is Mike in Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. Mike, welcome to the program.
5: How are you guys doing
3: tonight?
2: We're having a great time. And how are you doing?
3: Oh, good. Uh, I'm having a great time, too. Um, well, my my thing is, uh, my question is in reference to the story of the rich man yeah. that asked
6: Jesus how he can have eternal life. And of course, Jesus quotes the last six commandments, but here's my question. It's about where in Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, the rich man says he kept those commandments. And my question is... Is the rich man asking how he can have a better resurrection, and my reference to that is Hebrews chapter eleven,
3: verse thirty-five.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, and I know the verse you're talking about in Hebrews. Uh, let's go before we go there. Let's go to the rich man, this rich young ruler. When Jesus he says, "You know, what must I do to have eternal life?" Christ says, "Keep the commandments." He says, "Which ones?" And he begins to recite the commandments on the second table, meaning the ones that deal with man and his fellow man. And every Jew knew all those by heart. And so the young man says, all these I've kept, I've known them from my youth. What do I lack? Well, Jesus was getting to the heart of it. It wasn't just his actions. It was his attitude. He really didn't love his fellow man. Christ said, look, you're a very rich man because you've been hoarding your wealth. And if you want to follow me, you need to unload, go sell what you have, give it to the poor you'll have treasure in heaven and so Jesus is talking he said you know you're really attached to your treasure and uh, he went away sad he couldn't do that Christ was even asking him to be a disciple really an apostle he said follow me just like he said to Peter and John follow me and um, he, he couldn't do it and it even says in this story Christ looking at him loved him I think that's in the v- Mark's version he had great potential. So he was maybe keeping the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. And so I don't think in Hebrews, when he's talking about those who want to obtain a better resurrection, was referring to people like the rich young ruler. There's no record. The rich young ruler went away sad because he had great possessions. No record that he may have changed his mind or what happened. There's, there's a few traditions, but we don't know. But uh, Christ was letting us know it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom because they trust in their riches. I hope that helps. Does that answer your question?
7: Well, I, Ben. So in other words, but the rich man was
6: saved, though, right? I mean, because he just he just couldn't he couldn't go
7: he couldn't attain perfection.
1: You know, it's hard to judge whether he's saved or not. It just it doesn't look good on the surface because Jesus tells him what to do, and he said he went away grieved for he had great possessions. It's like he walked away from Christ, and it says that you know he just said, "Oh man, that's too much." Uh, if he had, like Zacchaeus came to Jesus, he said, "Half my goods I give to the poor," and he rejoiced. This man walks away from Christ. He doesn't follow him, as Jesus said, "Follow me." He didn't follow him. He walked away. I think that uh, it doesn't look good for him right now, from just the Bible record. So, but hey, we thank you so much for that. That's a good question.
2: Next caller that we have is uh, Josiah listening in Washington. Josiah, welcome to the program.
8: Hi, thank you, uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross. Been listening um, from, from a child and really appreciate the time that you take for this.
1: Well, thank you. It, get real close to your phone. You sound like you're kind of echoing in the distance.
8: My apologies. That's okay. Uh, I, is that better? Much better. I'm sorry. Probably thought the first time I'd be on the radio would remember to take my phone off speakerphone. But
1: <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and your question?
8: Well,. It's uh, one about fear, pretty much. Um, I get fearful sometimes that the enemy is like, uh, you know, spiritually, we cannot fight the uh, Satan and things that are happening. The, the signs and times are all around. And my question was, how can we stay on the rock when we are like... Used to or in the past been on a different rock or something, you know, uh, yeah. spiritually, that makes sense. I think so. I feel I feel different sometimes. And I know I know I can't always be disciplined to to have the right way to go. And so I I um, I kind of took courage and called. So.
1: Well, I'm glad
8: you called. I need help.
1: Well, that, we'll we'll see what we can do, Josiah. Um, first of all, you know, once a person comes to Christ and they give their lives to Jesus, they need to believe the Bible says everything in the Christian life is based on faith. Believe that he loves you. He would not go through all that he went through to die if it wasn't entirely possible for you to be saved. That means trust him. Also do not be afraid of the devil because Jesus promises be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so, and then over and over, it tells us, fear not, fear not. You know, Moses said, be courageous to uh, Joshua, be courageous, be very courageous. If the Lord is with you, Jesus said, when he ascended to heaven, I am with you always, even unto the end, he will never leave you or forsake you. And so just have courage that Christ is going to keep his word. He's going to be with you. Through his word, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the rock. Christ said, he that hears these words of mine is building on a rock. Ten commandments written on a rock. David killed Goliath with a rock. The wise man builds his house on the rock. And so by staying rooted in the word, you'll be on the rock. So read the word, talk to him every day, and it'll keep you strong. Friends, you hear the music. This is just halftime. We've got more questions coming. Don't go anywhere.
0: Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
9: Doug Batchelor was the teenage son of a millionaire father and show business mother, yet he was living in a cave. He had everything money could buy, everything but happiness. But all of the fun and excitement he enjoyed left his life out of control. His search eventually led him to a cave above Palm Springs that became his home while Doug scavenged for food in garbage bins. His father owned a yacht, a Learjet, and an airline. But in his cave home, he discovered a dust-covered Bible. As he began to read, he soon learned of his true purpose in life. The Richest Caveman is the extraordinary true story of Doug Batchelor that tells how a rebellious teenager who once lived in a cave became a tremendous soul winner for Jesus Christ. It's a thrilling testimony of the transforming power of God's Word. To order your copy of The Richest Caveman, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com.
10: Have you ever skipped a meal? Not a bad idea if you need to watch your waistline, but there's a heavenly food you should never skip, God's Word. Yet, how can you dive in daily when you're so busy? Amazing Facts has you covered, and it's as easy as signing up for our Daily Devotional and Verse of the Day, both sent directly to your inbox, ready to bless, inspire, and inform you. To start receiving the Amazing Facts Daily Devotional and Verse of the Day, visit AmazingFacts.org and click on Bible Study in the main menu. You'll be glad you did.
9: Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? BEAUTIFULLY REDESIGNED AND UPDATED, AMAZING FACTS 27 BIBLE STUDY GUIDES PROVIDE STRAIGHTFORWARD BIBLE-BASED ANSWERS THAT ARE ENLIGHTENING, ENCOURAGING, AND EASY TO UNDERSTAND, GIVING YOU REAL RELEVANT BIBLE ANSWERS TO QUESTIONS LIKE, HOW CAN I HAVE HEALTHIER RELATIONSHIPS, WHEN WILL JESUS COME, AND MUCH MORE. ORDER YOURS TODAY BY VISITING AFBOOKSTORE.COM OR BY CALLING 800-538-7275.
0: to receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Welcome back, listening friends. If you've tuned in somewhere en route, this is Bible Answers Live. And if you have a Bible question, you're invited to call 800 463 7297. 800-463-7297. And uh, we are streaming on Facebook. And uh, you can simply go to the Amazing Facts Facebook page or the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And um, you can join us and take a look at what's happening here in the little bitty studio.
2: My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross. We're going to go to the phone lines. We've got Jack listening from Colorado. Jack, welcome to the program. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. So,
3: one quick thing: I've been watching Amazing Facts on Roku for a while, and the last Sabbath School—I'd say about the last eight to ten—they're not loading on my Roku well enough. So, I don't know if the technical uh, support, whoever, well, I'm glad that. you
1: told us that. We'll, uh, we, the person who needs to check on that's probably helping us engineer
3: right now. We'll, we'll look into that, and
1: make sure it works.
3: But it was just a Sabbath School, at any rate. Um, I had a question about, and I'll just be honest, I have a problem with and struggling with marijuana. And I want to know where in the Bible that talks about marijuana. And if it does, what I can do about it and how maybe you can pray for me and just give me some advice about that.
1: All right, absolutely. First of all, before we close our call with you, we will pray for you. Uh, Secondly, I've got to preface my statements by saying there are, uh, you know, most of our medicines come from a variety of herbs. Aspirin, I think, comes from willow bark, and you've got a variety of medications. Uh, you know, valium comes from valerian root, or it might be a chemical uh, extraction of it now, or uh, reproduction. But so many of the medicines are connected with plants over time. And, uh, but those things were not ever to become dependent on any drug and so if a doctor prescribes a particular medicine for a limited time, but you don't want to become dependent on a drug unless, you know, a doctor may prescribe something that's necessary because you have a chronic condition. Most people that I know, uh, and I grew up, my mother started smoking pot with me at 13. So I've got my black belt and marijuana and I, as a hippie, I grew a little bit and, and, uh, but you know, and I, Karen and I live in a, in a County that's called the Emerald triangle. We've got, uh, so some yeah. of the biggest pot plantations in the country are around our property. You can see them on Google Earth. No, they're not ours. I promise, friends. Pastor Ross, give me a witness. If they're not ours, <laughs> you've been to <laughs> yeah, my I've place. <laughs> so um, I, I I understand that what the issues are. And I've got friends that started smoking pot. and They really just got dependent on it. it and you can get addicted to it. Um. It's obviously not God's will for us to be addicted to a drug like that, especially on some recreational use. It alters your mind. It lowers your IQ. It affects your witness for Christ. Now, you're looking for some scripture. You know The Bible tells us our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And um, you know, you're not going to find marijuana mentioned in the Bible. You're not going to find tobacco mentioned in the Bible. But you know if you look on any cigarette pack, it's going to say this stuff's going to kill you. It's bad for you. And you ask, what would Jesus do? Would Jesus need to smoke pot? Uh, You know, I don't believe that uh, you'd see Jesus doing that. And so um, I, I think that so much of what's being said, not everything, but so much of what's being said about marijuana and legalizing marijuana is not because of the medicinal value, some maybe, but a lot of it is also because people are wanting to just have accessibility to it for recreational purposes. Otherwise, when I fly over Mendocino County and I see pot gardens everywhere, I'm thinking there's a whole lot of sick people out there Well, all that pot they're growing. So I don't know if I'm helping answer your question, Jack, but uh, I want to pray with you. Are you still with us? Of course. And and I like I said, I've got some dear friends that I know. They, they started using pot and then they realized, hey, this is getting to be expensive as well as habit forming. And um, they wanted to have clear heads and be free of it. And it it can be difficult, like any habit or addiction. But let me pray for you, okay? Father in heaven, I just pray that you'll be with Jack and others like him that might be struggling with um, an addiction to something like marijuana or any drug, that you give them victory. And uh, just as, Lord, you've helped me with you know problems with alcohol, tobacco, and so many things, and millions of others, that you can help him. You can set him free. I pray you break the chains. You said if the Son will make you free, you'll be free indeed. And do this for them now, Lord, we pray in Jesus'
2: name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jack, we do have a book we'll be happy to send you. You'll find it encouraging. It's called Tips for Resisting Temptation. And uh, I think you'll be encouraged. Uh, Just ask for the book, Tips for Resisting Temptation. It's practical. And, of course, uh, if we want to live a godly life, we're going to face temptation and trials. But we can have victory in Jesus the number to call for that is 800 835 6747. And again, ask for the uh, book. It's called Tips for Resisting Temptation. And we'll be happy to send that out to anyone who calls and asks. We've got Robert listening in uh, Washington in College Place. Robert, welcome to the program. Hey, good evening, pastors. Evening. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. I
8: was wondering about the keys of the kingdom. I understand. There's a couple churches anyway that uh, have the keys of the kingdom. I'm not sure if they share the keys or, or how that works. But um, well, you know at least one church uh, claims that because they've got the keys, they can only they're the only people that can baptize. So what are, all is involved in having keys of the kingdom?
1: Well, good question, and that's there. Let me read it for you. It's in Matthew chapter sixteen, eighteen, and I also say. To you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not prevail against it and i'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and he commanded his disciples now he's not just talking to peter he's talking to the disciples in particular the apostles that are there and peter is not the you know first pope as some will say what he's simply saying is peter The statement you've made is the rock on which we're going to build the church. He said, you're Peter. That word there, Peter, is Petros. And that means a rock you can pick up and throw. It'll roll in the surf. It's a small rock. He said, but on this Petra, the Petra is the statement Peter had made that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. On this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not be able to withstand you stop you from sharing the gospel, and I'll give you the keys. The keys are in the truth. The keys that unlock people from sin and that, that break the chains is the word of God and the gospel. And as they share the gospel or do not share the gospel, people are saved or they remain in bondage. And so he's saying, look, I'm giving you the ability to liberate people through the proclamation of the gospel. And I think he, there's a verse where it says that Jesus has the key of the son of David. Is that in Revelation, Pastor Ross?
2: Yes, to Christ is given the key. Yeah,
1: and so in sharing Christ, Jesus is the one ultimately who has the keys. And I think even Isaiah says he, uh, he will have the key.
2: And Isaiah 22, verse 22, says, the key of the house of David I'll lay upon his shoulder. And then that is referenced in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7.
1: Yeah, so jesus and the gospel is the key it's not that the disciples are a church any particular denomination says we've got the secret keys hopefully that helps a little robert and i'm just wondering if um we don't necessarily have a book that deals with that we can share but um there's some good studies if you know i go to any protestant commentary explains Mm -hmm. these verses pretty well appreciate
2: your call we've got uh, jim listening in crescent city california jim welcome to the program
7: Hello, how are you guys tonight?
2: Doing well. Thank
1: you for calling.
7: That's my pleasure. Uh, I have we have a, a Bible study group and we had some discussion on the forgiveness of God and we all agree that we are forgiven instantaneously when we repent and we ask for that. But when do we find that our sins are blotted out, cast into the sea? and remembered no more
1: great great question Um, you know the parable jesus told about the unmerciful debtor it's in matthew 18 in that parable uh, jesus says that there's this servant and he wastes a lot of the king's money and the king says he's going to be sold and his wife and everything and he falls down and he begs the king he says lord have patience and i'll pay thee all And the king is moved with a compassion and he forgives him this 100,000 talent or 10,000 talent debt. And um, so that man is forgiven. And he should walk out of the king's presence just so excited because the king said, I'm going to forgive you. And he frees him. He's freed at that moment when the king says, I forgive you. But he goes out then and he finds a fellow servant that owes him $40 by comparison, takes him by the throat and throws him in prison for this meager amount well eventually word gets back to the king how he treated his fellow servant and the king says look i've had a report that you did not pass on my forgiveness you did not live out my mercy or practice what i did for you and so you're losing your forgiveness i'm revoking it because in looking at your works you are not worthy of it so in salvation anybody can come to christ and be justified by faith we receive incredible mercy But the Bible says we need to then have new hearts and by grace want to live a new life. Even in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. In the judgment at the end of time, if it's found that we were only Christians in word, well, our forgiveness is revoked. You know, if if we're only saying, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, there'll be many that say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I don't know you. And so if we're sincere and we come to him and we are receiving the new heart, then we will show love for others. That's the great commandment. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. So when do we receive forgiveness? Instantaneously. When is the record finally purged? And that's at the great judgment and that takes place uh, at the end of time.
7: Exactly. And so when Christ in the most holy place stands up, when Michael stands up, and leaves and it's finished the judgment is then permanent those that remain uh, righteous and so that's when we have permanent blotting out or the, the the books are then emptied of those sins if you're found to be righteous
6: yeah,
1: at the end of time when uh, it says that the temple, there was smoke in the temple and no man can enter anymore. Once it says no man can enter the temple, it means forgiveness is over and the devil can't take them anymore. In other words, they are sealed and saved. The saved are saved, the lost are lost. That's, that's where probation closes. Now, some people are surprised to learn that probation closes before the end, shortly before the end. It's like the story of Noah where before the rain came, Noah and his family went into the ark and the door was shut and life continued to go on outside the ark for seven days and at the end of seven days uh, the rain came but the saved were saved inside the ark the lost were shut out and there was no more hope for them there'll be a short time when the seven last plagues fall when the lost are lost and saved are sealed everyone will have either the mark of the beast or the seal of God.
2: And I think the verse you're referring to there, Pastor Doug, is Revelation twenty two eleven, It says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And then verse 12, and behold, I'm coming quickly. So that declaration, the close of probation occurs just before Jesus comes. Thank you for your call, Jim.
0: You're listening to Bible
2: Answers Live.
0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1 800 God Says. For life changing
2: Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. Our uh, next caller that we have is Griselda, listening in uh, California. Griselda, welcome to the program. Hello. Hi.
11: Hi. Good evening. Evening. It was a beautiful day in um, California.
1: Amen. We could see the blue sky and wondered what it was.
11: Yes. <laughs> well, pastors, I have to say, I've been going through a lot, and um, I've been praying a lot. And I want to, in my prayers, always want to be led by the Holy Spirit and know that what I'm praying for is something that also aligns with God's will. that I'm praying according to His will. So with that, I had questions about if there is more than one Holy Spirit or Holy Spirits, because obviously I I want to be led by the Holy Spirit right. and to know that um, I'm praying for, you know, what is God's will for my future, for my family. And um, so I needed a little bit of clarification on that when I was reading Revelation and hopefully... Um, Maybe you can kind of talk and give me some, a little bit explanation on that. Sure.
1: Now, Pastor Ross probably has the verse there in Revelation where it talks about the seven spirits. Yeah, Revelation 5, 6.
11: Yes. Yeah. Yes, 5, 6, where, yes, where it's um about seven horns. The
1: seven spirits of God. Yes. Let me tell you what that means, Grisilda. If, if you look in Isaiah 11, you'll see that Isaiah talks about seven characteristics or facets of God the Spirit. Now, there is one Holy Spirit. I think in Ephesians, Paul says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one Spirit into which we're baptized. And it tells us what those facets of the Spirit are. And in Isaiah 11, it says, it says the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, that being one, the Spirit of wisdom, two, understanding, three, counsel, four, might, Five knowledge, six fear the Lord, seven. So, here and other places, it talks about different facets or characteristics of the Spirit. And it doesn't mean there's only seven, because you know, you talk about the fruits of the Spirit that you read about in uh, Galatians chapter five. And I forget what the number is, but it's probably more than seven there. And you get these different facets or fruits of the Spirit. And so, when you're praying, there's one God, one Father, one Son, one Spirit. But there are several different characteristics of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus is, I, I was uh, just preaching this week. There's seven times Jesus said, I am. He says, I'm the door, I'm the water, I'm the bread, I'm the gate, I'm the vine. So Jesus looks at the different facets or allegories of his character. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit, they are different facets.
2: You know, we do have a book that uh, we'll be happy to send to you um it is called life in the spirit and talks about the holy spirit the need for the holy spirit and um, how we can experience the holy spirit you know this is a gift that god wants to give us and we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks just ask for the book it's called life in the spirit and the number is 800-835-6747 and again ask for the book it's called life in the Spirit. Thank you for your call. Do we got time for one more? Yeah, we got a couple more. Yeah, we got James listening in Minnesota. James, welcome to the program.
6: Hi, pastors. How are you?
2: Doing well. Thank you for calling.
6: I just wanted to start off by saying in 1994, I had this miraculous experience. I was standing on stage and playing in front of thousands of people and I felt naked in front of the audience and I could sense God calling me. And I went home and I fasted and prayed for seven days. And I came to Matthew 24 verse, or sorry, Matthew 12, verse eight. And when I read the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath, that those words were like ensconced with light and it led me directly to the Sabbath. So And immediately after that, I found um, amazing facts. And I just got to say, every time I have one of those Holy Spirit moments where I felt led to a conclusion, I would listen to one of your sermons and you would hit that exact same topic and have the exact same conclusion on like 99% of the time. So
1: well, praise the Lord. That's a, that's a God thing. Glory to God.
6: Amen. That's exactly what I believe. So, um, in that time period of, um, the last 26 years, uh, the subject of, you know, how Matthew, um, 24 and luke 17 um about the mingling of the destruction of jerusalem and the end of the world right they're they're synonymous they they follow the same sermon from jesus and um towards the end of luke and matthew um where it talks about two men shall be in the field one shall be taken the other left I've heard you in many sermons and on this program say that the one that shall be taken is referring to like the death of the wicked at the second coming of Jesus. But I wanted to share with you that I found in special testimonies for ministers and workers that it says, The one that shall be taken, his name shall stand in the book of life, while those who are left are the ones who suffer eternal separation from God. So having heard that aspect, um, is it possible that this is a direct reference to um, the mark of the beast? Because I've done some research into the wording of that text and many Protestant expositors said that the the word that is taken is in reference to as a prisoner like yeah
1: let me we've got to get to the question pretty quick um, we're going to run out of time so you're wondering it what does it what is it is it taken or is it left the one taken is it saved is the one left the one that is saved is that kind of the crux of the question
6: yeah, well, could it be referring to the the mark of the beast because the testimonies say that it's the one that is taken, his name shall stand in the book of life. All right, well,
1: let's talk about that real quick. Um, you've got two different passages, and actually Luke adds something. You've got Luke 17, and you've also got in Matthew 24, verse 40. Uh, in one passage, it's the, they ask him, Lord, where? Is he taken? And that may be in Luke 17, verse 40. And he says, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered. You know, it's entirely possible that what the um, gospel writers are talking about here is a separation. Two women doing the same thing, two men sleeping in a bed, two men working in a field. One is separated from the other. One is saved, one is not. Who is taken and who is left can be actually different references in the gospel. It's basically saying one is saved, one is lost. They are outwardly doing the same thing. And I've just met Christian scholars um that say both views can be argued from the Bible. Um, because yeah, one place the word taken means like receive to yourself. Another place it talks about taken away like when the flood came and took them all away. And it's talking about being taken away in judgment the real key is outwardly they're doing the same thing sleeping in a bed is a symbol for death two kinds of people that are dead now the saved and the lost that's it dead in christ will rise and the other group is left behind then you've got uh, two kinds of people that are working in the field true gospel false gospel one is saved one is not two kinds of churches women grinding at the grain working with the word the true and the false two women in revelation so Jesus is saying there's two roads. And I think we we sometimes, it's like a revolving door. We're wondering, well, which side of the door is it? I think the point he's making is that there's going to be a separation of the two.
2: You know, it's also interesting, Pastor Doug. It's a little different in Matthew 24 and then in Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, in Matthew 24, it talks about two men in the field, the ones taken, the others left. Luke talks about two men asleep, the ones taking the others left. So um, it could quite possibly be like many of the parables that Jesus told. Uh, he told it more than once and disciples recorded it differently. Different aspects were being emphasized with the different parables. Yeah, exactly so what I'm saying in the different it, gospels. It's, exactly.
1: Yeah, it could be he could be referring to the different group, but it's just saying that they're separated. One is saved, one is lost. And it's kind of like saying, well, did you go out the right way or did you go out the left way? <laughs> You're going
2: opposite ways. Thank you. Appreciate that, James. Hope it made some sense. Thanks for your call. We've got uh, time maybe for one more. Kate is listening in Brooklyn, New York. Kate, welcome to the program. we got about a minute, Kate.
4: Good evening, Pastor Doug and uh, Pastor Ross. So in Luke 7, uh, verse 19, uh, why did uh, John the Baptist ask Jesus if he was a Messiah since uh, when he was baptized? The God spoke and said, this is my beloved son. And what can be more important than God himself saying that this is my son? Why he questioned?
1: Well, it's a good question. It's because John the Baptist was in jail. He had been there for a while. It says while he was in prison, Herod would sometimes send for him and, and talk to him. So he spent quite a while in a dungeon. And he kept waiting for Jesus to announce himself as Messiah. And even John the Baptist thought, well, the son of God is going to sit on the throne of David and and he's going to, you know, lead our armies in battle against the Romans. And John wasn't even totally clear on how that prophecy was going to be fulfilled. And so as time went by and nothing happened, he thought, well, maybe he began, the devil was assailing John with doubts. And he sent disciples saying, are you the one we look for or do we wait for another? And John, you know, Jesus sent back word to encourage him that he was not wrong, When he declared him to be the messiah the lamb of god so um yeah he just needed some encouragement i think john was getting discouraged as he waited in jail and the devil was attacking him with second thoughts and jesus sent him a word of encouragement and then said john was the greatest of the prophets thank you kate good question hey listening friends before we sign off we want to remind you pray for the program and spread the word in the meantime Thank you for keeping us on the air. You can just go to Amazing Facts, donate, and help us keep saving people. See you next time.
0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time to take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast. Call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live, honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.
1: People everywhere are wondering about the future. They see that the governments of the world are polarized. They see that there's the threat of war and even nuclear war. Natural disasters seem to be coming at an accelerating pace, and they wonder what the future holds. The most exciting product that Amazing Facts has ever produced was called the Final Events of Prophecy DVD. People have asked us, please put that in a magazine form, well it is done now we're so excited to tell you that it's here your friends your family even strangers can now better understand what is coming in the future and how they can prepare this beautifully illustrated 32 page magazine shares the final signs of the end time it talks about prophecies fulfilled the world crisis on the rise and it includes a special section giving the four steps to eternity to help a person make decisions to follow jesus This is the perfect resource to get and share with your friends so they can understand
0: the final events of Bible prophecy. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com.
10: Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.